Section 2 of Gobzek by Honoré Balzac Translated by Ellen Marriage This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 2 So be it, but no more, said I, with the firmness which means that a man is determined not to concede another point. Daddy Gobzek's face relaxed. He looked pleased with me. I shall pay the money over to your principal myself, said he, so as to establish a lien on the purchase and caution money. Oh, anything you like in the way of guarantees. And besides that, you will give me bills for the amount made payable to a third party, name left blank, fifteen bills of ten thousand francs each. Well, so long as it is acknowledged in writing that this is a double no, Gobzak broke in upon me, no, why should I trust you any more than you trust me? I kept silence, and furthermore, he continued, with a sort of good humor, you will give me your advice without charging fees as long as I live, will you not? So be it, so long as there is no outlay, precisely, said he, oh, by the by, you will allow me to go to see you plainly the old man found it not so easy to assume the air of good humour i shall always be glad ah yes but it would be very difficult to arrange of a morning you will have your affairs to attend to and i have mine then come in the evening oh no he answered briskly you ought to go into society and see your clients and i myself have my friends at my cafe his friends thought i to myself very well said i why not come at dinner time that is the time said gobzek after change at five o'clock good you will see me wednesdays and saturdays we will talk over business like a pair of friends aha i am gay sometimes just give me the wing of a partridge and a glass of champagne and we will have our chat together I know a great many things that can be told now at this distance of time. I will teach you to know men, and what is more, women. Oh, a partridge and a glass of champagne, if you like. Don't do anything foolish, or I shall lose my faith in you, and don't set up housekeeping in a grand way. Just one old general servant. I will come and see that you keep your health. I have capital invested in your head he he so i am bound to look after you there come round in the evening and bring your principal with you would you mind telling me if there is no harm in asking what was the good of my birth certificate in this business i asked when the little old man and i stood on the doorstep jean esther van gobzek shrugged his shoulders smiled maliciously and said what blockheads youngsters are learn master attorney for learn you must if you don't mean to be taken in that integrity and brains in a man under thirty are commodities which can be mortgaged after that age there is no counting on a man and with that he shut the door three months later i was an attorney before very long madame it was my good fortune to undertake the suit for the recovery of your estates i won the day and my name became known in spite of the exorbitant rate of interest i paid off gobzek in less than five years i married fanny malvaux whom i loved with all my heart there was a parallel between her life and mine between our hard work and our luck which increased the strength of feelings on either side. One of her uncles, a well-to-do farmer, died and left her seventy thousand francs, which helped to clear off the loan. From that day my life has been nothing but happiness and prosperity. Nothing is more utterly uninteresting than a happy man, so let us say no more on that head and return to the rest of the characters about a year after the purchase of the practice i was dragged into a bachelor breakfast party given by one of our number who had lost a bet to a young man greatly in vogue in the fashionable world monsieur de Trailles, the flower of the dandyism of that day enjoyed a prodigious reputation 
but he is still enjoying it put in the comte de borne no one wears his clothes with a finer air nor drives a tandem with a better grace it is maxime's gift he can gamble eat and drink more gracefully than any man in the world he is a judge of horses hats and pictures all the women lose their heads over him he always spends something like a hundred thousand francs a year and no creature can discover that he has an acre of land or a single dividend warrant the typical knight-errant of our salons our boudoirs our boulevards an amphibian halfway between a man and a woman maxime de Trailles, is a singular being fit for anything and good for nothing quite as capable of perpetrating a benefit as of planning a crime sometimes base sometimes noble more often bespattered with mire than besprinkled with blood knowing more of anxiety than of remorse more concerned with his digestion than with any mental process shamming passion feeling nothing maxime de Trailles is a brilliant link between the hulks and the best society he belongs to the eminently intelligent class from which a mirabeau or a pitt or a richelieu springs at times though it is more wont to produce comte de horn fouquier tinville or quanards well pursued derville when he had heard the vicomtesse's brother to the end i had heard a good deal about this individual from poor old goriot a client of mine and i had already been at some pains to avoid the dangerous honour of his acquaintance for i came across him sometimes in society still my chum was so pressing about this breakfast party of his that i could not well get out of it unless i wished to earn a name for squeamishness madame you could hardly imagine what a bachelor's breakfast party is like it means superb display and a studied refinement seldom seen the luxury of a miser which vanity leads him to be sumptuous for a day you are surprised as you enter the room at the neatness of the table dazzling by reason of its silver and crystal and linen damask life is here in full bloom the young fellows are graceful to behold they smile and talk in low demure voices like so many brides everything about them looks girlish two hours later you might take the room for a battlefield after the fight broken glasses serviettes crumpled and torn to rags lie strewn about among the nauseous looking remnants of food on the dishes there is an uproar that stuns you jesting toasts a fire of witticisms and bad jokes faces are empurpled eyes inflamed and expressionless unintentional confidences tell you the whole truth bottles are smashed and songs trolled out in the height of a diabolical racket men call each other out hang on each other's necks or fall to fisticuffs the room is full of a horrid close scent made up of a hundred odours and noise enough for a hundred voices no one has any notion of what he is eating or drinking or saying some are depressed others babble one will turn monomaniac repeating the same word over and over again like a bell set jangling another tries to keep the tumult within bounds the steadiest will propose an orgy if any one in possession of his faculties should come in he would think that he had interrupted a bacchanalian rite it was in the thick of such a chaos that monsieur de Trailles tried to insinuate himself into my good graces my head was fairly clear i was upon my guard as for him though he pretended to be decently drunk he was perfectly cool and knew very well what he was about how it was done i do not know 
but the upshot of it was that when we left grignon's rooms about nine o'clock in the evening monsieur de Troyes had thoroughly bewitched me i had given him my promise that i would introduce him next day to papa gobseck the words honor virtue countess honest woman and ill luck were mingled in his discourse with magical potency thanks to that golden tongue of his when i awoke next morning and tried to recollect what i had done the day before it was with great difficulty that i could make a connected tale from my impressions at last it seemed to me that the daughter of one of my clients was in danger of losing her reputation together with her husband's love and esteem if she could not get fifty thousand francs together in the course of the morning there had been gaming debts and carriage builders accounts money lost to heaven knows whom my magician of a boon companion had impressed it upon me that she was rich enough to make good these reverses by a few years of economy but only now did i begin to guess the reasons of his urgency i confess to my shame that i had not the shadow of a doubt but that it was a matter of importance that daddy gobseck should make it up with this dandy i was dressing when the young gentleman appeared monsieur le comte said i after the usual greetings i fail to see why you should need me to effect an introduction to van gobseck the most civil and smooth-spoken of capitalists money will be forthcoming if he has any or rather if you can give him adequate security monsieur said he it does not enter into my thoughts to force you to do me a service even though you have passed your word sardanopolis said i to myself am i going to let that fellow imagine that i will not keep my word with him i had the honour of telling you yesterday said he that i had fallen out with daddy gobseck most inopportunely and as there is scarcely another man in paris who can come down on the nail with a hundred thousand francs at the end of the month i begged of you to make my peace with him but let us say no more about it monsieur de Troyes looked at me with civil insult in his expression and made as if he would take his leave i am ready to go with you said i when we reached the rue de grey my dandy looked about him with a circumspection and uneasiness that set me wandering his face grew livid flushed and yellow turn and turn about and by the time that gobseck's door came in sight the perspiration stood in drops on his forehead we were just getting out of the cabriolet when a hackney cab turned into the street my companion's hawk eye detected a woman in the depths of the vehicle his face lighted up with a gleam of almost savage joy he called to a little boy who was passing and gave him his horse to hold then he went up to the old bill discounter monsieur gobseck said i i have brought one of my most intimate friends to see you whom i trust as i would trust the devil i added for the old man's private ear to oblige me you will do your best for him at the ordinary rate and pull him out of his difficulty if it suits your convenience monsieur de Troyes made his bow to gobseck took a seat and listened to us with a courtier-like attitude its charming humility could have touched your heart to see but my gobseck sits in his chair by the fireside without moving a muscle or changing a feature he looked very like the statue of voltaire under the peristyle of the theatre francais as you see it of an evening he had partly risen as if to bow and the skull-cap that covered the top of his head and the narrow strip of sallow forehead exhibited completed his likeness to a man of marble i have no money to spare except for my own clients said he so you are cross because i may have tried in other quarters to ruin myself laughed the count ruin yourself repeated gobseck ironically were you about to remark that it is impossible to ruin a man who has nothing 
inquired the dandy. Why, I defy you to find a better stock in Paris, he cried, swinging round on his heels. This half-earnest buffoonery produced not the slightest effect upon Gobseck. Am I not on intimate terms with the Ronquerolles, the Marseilles, the Francesines, the two Vandenesses, the Adjudant Pintos, all the most fashionable young men in Paris, in short? A prince and an ambassador, you know them both, are my partners at play. I draw my revenues from London and Carlsbad and Baden and Bath. Is not this the most brilliant of all industries? True. You make a sponge of me, bedad, you do. You encourage me to go and swell myself out in society so that you can squeeze me when I am hard up. But you yourselves are sponges just as I am, and death will give you a squeeze some day. That is possible. If there are no spendthrifts, what would become of you? The pair of us are like soul and body. Precisely so. Come now, give us your hand, Granddaddy Gobzek, and be magnanimous if this is true and possible and precisely so. You come to me, the usurer answered coldly, because Gerard, Palmer, Verborst, and Giganet are full up of your paper. They are offering it at a loss of fifty per cent, and as it is likely they only gave you half the figure on the face of the bills, they are not worth five and twenty per cent of their supposed value. I am your most obedient. Can I in common decency lend a stiver to a man who owes thirty thousand francs and has not one farthing? Gobzig continued. The day before yesterday you lost ten thousand francs at a ball at the Baron de Nucingen's. Sir, said the Count, with rare impudence, my affairs are no concern of yours, and he looked the old man up and down. A man has no debts till payment is due. True, my bills will be duly met. That is possible. And at this moment the question between you and me is simply whether the security I am going to offer is sufficient for the sum I have come to borrow. Precisely. A cab stopped at the door, and the sound of wheels filled the room. I will bring something directly, which perhaps will satisfy you, cried the young man, and he left the room. Oh, my son! exclaimed Gobzek, rising to his feet and stretching out his arm to me. If he has good security, you have saved my life. It would be the death of me. Werbrust and Giganot imagined that they were going to play off a trick on me, and now, thanks to you, I shall have a good laugh at their expense tonight. There was something frightful about the old man's ecstasy. It was the one occasion when he opened his heart to me. That flash of joy, swift though it was, will never be effaced from my memory. Favor me so far as to stay here, he added. I am armed and a sure shot. I have gone tiger-hunting and fought on the deck when there was nothing for it but to win or die. But I don't care to trust yonder elegant scoundrel. He sat down again in his armchair before his bureau, and his face grew pale and impassive as before. Ah, he continued, turning to me, you will see that lovely creature I once told you about. I can hear a fine lady's step in the corridor. It is she, no doubt, and as a matter of fact, the young man came in with a woman on his arm. I recognized the countess, whose levy... Gobzek had described for me one of old Goriot's two daughters. The countess did not see me at first. I stayed where I was in the window bay with my face against the pane, but I saw her give Maxime a suspicious glance as she came into the money-lender's damp, dark room. So beautiful she was that, in spite of her faults, I felt sorry for her. There was a terrible storm of anguish in her heart. Her haughty, proud features were drawn and distorted with pain, which she strove in vain to disguise. The young man had come to be her evil genius. 
I admired Gobzek, whose perspicacity had foreseen their future four years ago at the first bill which she endorsed. Probably, said I to myself, this monster with the angel face controls every possible spring of action in her, rules her through vanity, jealousy, pleasure, and the current of life in the world. The Vicondesse de Grandieu broke in on the story. Why, the woman's very virtues have been turned against her, she exclaimed. He has made her shed tears of devotion, and then abused her kindness, and made her pay very dearly for unhallowed bliss. Derville did not understand the signs which Madame de Grandieu made to him. I confess, he said, that I had no inclination to shed tears over the lot of this unhappy creature, so brilliant in society, so repulsive to eyes that could read her heart. I shuddered rather at the sight of her murderer, a young angel with such a clear brow, such red lips and white teeth, such a winning smile. There they stood before their judge, he scrutinizing them much as some fifteenth-century Dominican inquisitor might have peered into the dungeons of the holy office while the torture was administered to two moors. The countess spoke tremulously. Sir, she said, is there any way of obtaining the value of these diamonds and of keeping the right of repurchase? She held out a jewel-case. Yes, madame, I put in, and came forwards. She looked at me, and a shudder ran through her, as she recognized me, and gave me the glance which means, say nothing of this, all over the world. This, said I, constitutes a sale with faculty of redemption, as it is called, a formal agreement to transfer and deliver over a piece of property, either real estate or personality, for a given time, on the expiry of which the previous owner recovers his title to the property in question upon payment of a stipulated sum. She breathed more freely. The Count looked black. He had grave doubts whether Gobzek would lend very much on the diamonds after such a fall in their value. Gobzek, impassive as ever, had taken up his magnifying glass and was quietly scrutinizing the jewels. If I were to live for a hundred years, I should never forget the sight of his face at that moment. There was a flush in his pale cheeks. His eyes seemed to have caught the sparkle of the stones, for there was an unnatural glitter in them. He rose and went to the light, holding the diamonds close to his toothless mouth, as if he meant to devour them, mumbling vague words over them, holding up bracelets, sprays, necklaces, and tiaras, one after another, to judge their water, whiteness, and cutting, taking them out of the jewel-case, and putting them in again, letting the play of the light bring out all their fires. He was more like a child than an old man, or rather childhood and dotage seemed to meet in him. Fine stones! The set would have fetched three hundred thousand francs before the revolution. What water! Genuine Asiatic diamonds from Golconda or Vassipur. Do you know what they are worth? No, no, no one in Paris but Gobzek can appreciate them. In the time of the empire such a set would have cost another two hundred thousand francs. He gave a disgusted shrug and added, But now diamonds are going down in value every day. The Brazilians have swamped the market with them since the peace, but the Indian stones are a better color. Others wear them now besides court ladies. Does madame go to court? While he flung out these terrible words, he examined one stone after another with delight which no words can describe. Flawless, he said. Here is a speck. Here is a flaw. A fine stone, that. His haggard face was so lighted up by the sparkling jewels that it put me in mind of a dingy old mirror such as you see in country inns. The glass receives every luminous image without reflecting the light, 
and a traveller bold enough to look for his face in it beholds a man in an apoplectic fit well asked the count clapping gobseck on the shoulder the old boy trembled he put down his playthings on his bureau took his seat and was a money-lender once more hard cold and polished as a marble column how much do you want one hundred thousand francs for three years said the count that is possible said gobseck and then from a mahogany box gobseck's jewel-case he drew out a faultlessly adjusted pair of scales he weighed the diamonds calculating the value of stones and settings at sight heaven knows how delight and severity struggling in the expression of his face the meanwhile the countess had plunged in a kind of stupor to me watching her it seemed that she was fathoming the depths of the abyss into which she had fallen there was remorse still left in that woman's soul perhaps a hand held out in human charity might save her i would try are the diamonds your personal property madame i asked in a clear voice yes monsieur she said looking at me with proud eyes make out the deed of purchase with power of redemption chatterbox said gobseck to me resigning his chair at the bureau in my favour madame is without doubt a married woman i tried again she nodded abruptly then i will not draw up the deed said i and why not asked gobseck why not echoed i as i drew the old man into the bay window so as to speak aside with him why not this woman is under her husband's control the agreement would be void in law you could not possibly assert your ignorance of a fact recorded on the very face of the document itself you would be compelled at once to produce the diamonds deposited with you according to the weight value and cutting therein described gobseck cut me short with a nod and turned towards the guilty couple he is right he said that puts the whole thing in a different light eighty thousand francs down and you leave the diamonds with me he added in the husky flute-like voice in the way of property possession is as good as a title but objected the young man you can take it or leave it continued gobseck returning the jewel-case to the lady as he spoke i have too many risks to run it would be better to throw yourself at your husband's feet i bent to whisper in her ear the usurer doubtless knew what i was saying from the movement of my lips he gave me a cool glance the count's face grew livid the countess was visibly wavering maxime stepped up to her and low as he spoke i could catch the words adieu dear anastasie may you be happy as for me by to-morrow my troubles will be over sir cried the lady turning to gobseck i accept your offer come now returned gobseck you have been a long time in coming to it my fair lady he wrote out a cheque for fifty thousand francs on the bank of france and handed it to the countess now continued he with a smile such a smile as you will see in the portraits of monsieur voltaire now i will give you the rest of the amount in bills thirty thousand francs worth of paper as good as bullion the gentleman here has just said my bills will be met when they are due added he producing certain drafts bearing the count's signature all protested the day before at the request of some of the confraternity who had probably made them over to him gobseck at a considerably reduced figure the young man growled out something in which the words old scoundrel were audible daddy gobseck did not move an eyebrow he drew a pair of pistols out of a pigeon-hole remarking coolly as the insulted man i fire first maxime you owe this gentleman an explanation cried the trembling countess in a low voice i had no intention of giving offence stammered maxime i am quite sure of that gobseck answered calmly you had no intention of meeting your bills that was all 
the countess rose bowed and vanished with a great dread gnawing her i doubt not monsieur de Troyes was bound to follow but before he went he managed to say if either of you gentlemen should forget himself i will have his blood or he will have mine amen called daddy gobseck as he put his pistols back in their place but a man must have blood in his veins though before he can risk it my son and you have nothing but mud in yours when the door was closed and the two vehicles had gone gobseck rose to his feet and began to prance about i have the diamonds i have the diamonds he cried again and again the beautiful diamonds such diamonds and tolerably cheap aha werbrust and gigonet you thought you had old papa gobseck ego sum papa i am master of the lot of you paid paid principal and interest how silly they will look to-night when i shall come out with this story between two games of dominoes the dark glee the savage ferocity aroused by the possession of a few water-white pebbles set me shuddering i was dumb with amazement aha there you are my boy said he we will dine together we will have some fun at your place for i haven't a home of my own and these restaurants with their broths and saucers and wines will poison the devil himself something in my face suddenly brought back the usual cold impassive expression to his you don't understand it he said and sitting down by the hearth he put a tin saucepan full of milk on the brazier will you breakfast with me continued he perhaps there will be enough here for two thanks said i i do not breakfast till noon i had scarcely spoken before hurried footsteps sounded from the passage the stranger stopped at gobseck's door and rapped there was that in the knock which suggested a man transported with rage gobseck reconnoitred him through the grating then he opened the door and in came a man of thirty-five or so judged harmless apparently in spite of his anger the newcomer who was quite plainly dressed bore a strong resemblance to the late duc de richelieu he must often have met him he was the countess's husband a man with aristocratic figure permit the expression to pass peculiar to statesmen of your faubourg sir said this person addressing himself to gobseck who had quite recovered his tranquillity did my wife go out of this house just now that is possible well sir do you not take my meaning i have not the honour of the acquaintance of my lady your wife returned gobseck i have had a good many visitors this morning women and men and mannish young ladies and young gentlemen who look like young ladies i should find it very hard to say a truce to jesting sir i mean the woman who has this moment gone out from you how can i know whether she is your wife or not i never had the pleasure of seeing you before you are mistaken monsieur gobseck said the count with profound irony in his voice we have met before one morning in my wife's bedroom you had come to demand payment for a bill no bill of hers it was no business of mine to inquire what value she had received for it said gobseck with a malignant look at the count i had come by the bill in the way of business at the same time monsieur continued gobseck quietly pouring coffee into his bowl of milk without a trace of excitement or hurry in his voice you will permit me to observe that your right to enter my house and expostulate with me is far from proven to my mind i came of age in the sixty-first year of the preceding century sir said the count you have just bought family diamonds which do not belong to my wife for a mere trifle without feeling it incumbent upon me to tell you my private affairs i will tell you this much monsieur le comte if madame la comtesse had taken your diamonds you should have sent a circular around to all the jewellers giving them notice not to buy them she might have sold them separately you know my wife sir roared the count true she is in her husband's power that is possible 
she had no right to dispose of those diamonds precisely very well sir very well sir i knew your wife and she is in her husband's power i am quite willing she is in the power of a good many people but i do not know your diamonds if madame la comtesse can put her name to a bill she can go into business of course and buy and sell diamonds on her own account the thing is plain on the face of it good day sir cried the count now white with rage there are courts of justice quite so this gentleman here he added indicating me was a witness of the sale that is possible the count turned to go feeling the gravity of the affair i suddenly put in between the two belligerents monsieur le comte said i you are right and monsieur gobseck is by no means in the wrong you could not prosecute the purchaser without bringing your wife into court and the whole of the odium would not fall on her i am an attorney and i owe it to myself and still more to my professional position to declare that the diamonds of which you speak were purchased by monsieur gobseck in my presence but in my opinion it would be unwise to dispute the legality of the sale especially as the goods are not readily recognizable in equity our contention would lie in law it would collapse monsieur gobseck is too honest a man to deny that the sale was a profitable transaction more especially as my conscience no less than my duty compels me to make the admission but once bring the case into a court of law monsieur le comte the issue would be doubtful my advice to you is to come to terms with monsieur gobseck who can plead that he bought the diamonds in all good faith you would be bound in any case to return the purchase money consent to an arrangement with power to redeem at the end of seven or eight months or a year even or any convenient lapse of time for the repayment of the sum borrowed by madame la comtesse unless you would prefer to repurchase them outright and give security for repayment gobseck dipped his bread into the bowl of coffee and ate with perfect indifference but at the words come to terms he looked at me as who should say a fine fellow that he has learned something from my lessons and i for my part reposted with a glance which he understood uncommonly well the business was dubious and shady there was pressing need of coming to terms gobseck could not deny all knowledge of it for i should appear as a witness the count thanked me with a smile of good will in the debate which followed gobseck showed greed enough and skill enough to battle a whole congress of diplomatists but in the end i drew up an instrument in which the count acknowledged the receipt of eighty-five thousand francs interest included in consideration of which gobseck undertook to return the diamonds to the count what waste exclaimed he as he put his signature to the agreement how is it possible to bridge such a gulf have you many children sir gobseck asked gravely the count winced at the question it was as if the old money-lender like an experienced physician had put his finger at once on the sore spot the countess's husband did not reply well said gobseck taking the painful silence for answer i know your story by heart the woman is a fiend but perhaps you love her still i can well believe it she made an impression on me perhaps too you would rather save your fortune and keep it for one or two of your children well fling yourself into the whirlpool of society lose that fortune at play come to gobseck pretty often the world will say that i am a jew a tartar a usurer a pirate will say that i have ruined you i snap my fingers at them if anybody insults me i lay my man out nobody is a surer shot nor handles a rapier better than your servant and every one knows it then have a friend if you can find one and make over your property to him by a fictitious sale you call that a fidei commissum don't you he asked turning to me the count seems to be entirely absorbed in his own thoughts 
you shall have your money to-morrow he said have the diamonds in readiness and he went there goes one who looks to me to be as stupid as an honest man gobzik said coolly when the count had gone say rather stupid as a man of passionate nature the count owes you your fee for drawing up the agreement gobzik called after me as i took my leave one morning a few days after the scene which initiated me into the terrible depths beneath the surface of the life of a woman of fashion the count came into my private office i have come to consult you on a matter of grave moment he said and i begin by telling you that i have perfect confidence in you as i hope to prove to you your behavior to madame de grandlieu is above all praise the count went on you see madame that you have paid me a thousand times over for a very simple matter i bowed respectfully and replied that i had done nothing but the duty of an honest man well the count went on i have made a great many inquiries about the singular personage to whom you owe your position and from all that i can learn gobzek is a philosopher of the cynic school what do you think of his probity monsieur le comte said i gobzek is my benefactor at fifteen per cent i added laughing but his avarice does not authorize me to paint him to the life for a stranger's benefit speak out sir your frankness cannot injure gobzek or yourself i do not expect to find an angel in a pawnbroker daddy gobzek i began is intimately convinced of the truth of the principle which he takes for a rule of life in his opinion money is a commodity which you can sell cheap or dear according to circumstances with a clear conscience a capitalist by charging a high rate of interest becomes in his eyes a secured partner by anticipation apart from the peculiar philosophical views of human nature and financial principles which enable him to behave like a usurer i am fully persuaded that out of his business he is the most loyal and upright soul in paris there are two men in him he is petty and great a miser and a philosopher if i were to die and leave a family behind me he would be the guardian whom i should appoint this was how i came to see gobzek in this light monsieur i know nothing of his past life he may have been a pirate may for anything i know have been all over the world trafficking in diamonds or men or women or state secrets but this i affirm of him never has human soul been so thoroughly tempered and tried when i paid off my loan i asked him with a little circumlocution of course how it was that he had made me pay such an exorbitant rate of interest and why seeing that i was a friend and he meant to do me a kindness he should not have yielded to the wish and made it complete my son he said i released you from all need to feel any gratitude by giving you ground for the belief that you owed me nothing so we are the best of friends in the world that answer monsieur gives you the man better than any amount of description i have made up my mind once and for all said the count draw up the necessary papers i am going to transfer my property to gobzek i have no one but you to trust to in the draft of the counter deed which will declare that this transfer is a simulated sale and that gobzek as trustee will administer my estate as he knows how to administer and undertakes to make over my fortune to my eldest son when he comes of age now sir this i must tell you i should be afraid to have that precious document in my own keeping my boy is so fond of his mother that i cannot trust him with it so dare i beg of you to keep it for me in case of death gobzek will make you legatee of my property every contingency is provided for the count paused for a moment he seemed greatly agitated a thousand pardons he said at length i am in great pain and have very grave misgivings as to my health 
recent troubles have disturbed me very painfully and forced me to take this great step allow me first to thank you monsieur said i for the trust you place in me but i am bound to deserve it by pointing out to you that you are disinheriting your other children they bear your name merely as the children of a once loved wife now fallen from her position they have a claim to an assured existence i tell you plainly that i cannot accept the trust with which you propose to honour me unless their future is secured the count trembled violently at the words and tears came into his eyes as he grasped my hand saying i did not know my man thoroughly you have made me both glad and sorry we will make provision for the children in the counter-deed i went with him to the door it seemed to me that there was a glow of satisfaction in his face at the thought of this act of justice now camille this is how a young wife takes the first step to the brink of a precipice a quadrille a ballad a picnic party is sometimes cause sufficient of frightful evils you are hurried on by the presumptuous voice of vanity and pride on the faith of a smile or through giddiness and folly shame and misery and remorse are three furies awaiting every woman the moment she oversteps the limits poor camille can hardly keep awake the vicomtesse hastily broke in go to bed my child you have no need of appalling pictures to keep you pure in heart and conduct camille de grandlieu took the hint and went you are going rather too far dear monsieur de ville said the vicomtesse an attorney is not a mother of daughters nor yet a preacher but any newspaper is a thousand times poor de ville exclaimed the vicomtesse what has come over you do you really imagine that i allow a daughter of mine to read the newspapers go on she added after a pause three months after everything was signed and sealed between the count and gobseck you can call him the comte de rostaud now that camille is not here said the vicomtesse so be it well time went by and i saw nothing of the counter-deed which by rights should have been in my hands an attorney in paris lives in such a whirl of business that with certain exceptions which we make for ourselves we have not the time to give each individual client the amount of interest which he himself takes in his affairs still one day when gobseck came to dine with me i asked him as we left the table if he knew how it was that i had heard no more of monsieur de rostaud there are excellent reasons for that he said the noble count is at death's door he is one of the soft stamp that cannot learn how to put an end to chagrin and allow it to wear them out instead life is a craft a profession every man must take the trouble to learn that business when he has learned what life is by dint of painful experiences the fibre of him is toughened and acquires a certain elasticity so that he has his sensibilities under his own control he disciplines himself till his nerves are like steel strings which always bend but never break given a sound digestion and a man in such training ought to live as long as the cedars of lebanon and famous trees they are then is the count actually dying i asked that is possible said gobseck the winding up of his estate will be a juicy bit of business for you i looked at my man and said by way of sounding him just explain to me how it is that we the count and i are the only men in whom you take an interest because you are the only two who have trusted me without finessing he said although this answer warranted my belief that gobseck would act fairly even if the counter-deed were lost i resolved to go see the count i pleaded a business engagement and we separated i went straight to the rue de helder and was shown into a room where the countess sat playing with her children when she heard my name she sprang up and came to meet me 
then she sat down and pointed without a word to a chair by the fire her face wore the inscrutable mask beneath which women of the world conceal their most vehement emotions trouble had withered that face already nothing of its beauty now remained save the marvellous outlines in which its principal charm had lain it is essential madame that i should speak to monsieur le comte if so you would be more favoured than i am she said interrupting me monsieur de restaud will see no one he will hardly allow his doctor to come and will not be nursed even by me when people are ill they have such strange fancies they are like children they do not know what they want perhaps like children they know very well what they want the comtesse reddened i almost repented a thrust worthy of gobseck so by way of changing the conversation i added but monsieur de restaud cannot possibly lie there alone all day madame his oldest boy is with him she said it was useless to gaze at the comtesse she did not blush this time and it looked to me as if she were resolved more firmly than ever that i should not penetrate into her secrets you must understand madame that my proceeding is no way indiscreet it is strongly to his interest i bit my lips feeling that i had gone the wrong way to work the comtesse immediately took advantage of my slip my interests are in no way separate from my husband's sir said she there is nothing to prevent your addressing yourself to me the business which brings me here concerns no one but monsieur le comte i said firmly i will let her know of your wish to see him the civil tone and expression assumed for the occasion did not impose upon me i divined that she would never allow me to see her husband i chattered on about different matters for a little while so as to study her but like all women who have once begun to plot for themselves she could dissimulate with the rare perfection which in your sex means the last degree of perfidy if i may dare to say it i looked for anything from her even a crime she produced this feeling in me because it was so evident from her manner and in all that she did or said down to the very inflections of her voice that she had an eye on the future i went now i will pass on to the final scenes of this adventure throwing in a few circumstances brought to light by time and some details guessed by gobseck's perspicacity or by my own when the comte de restaud apparently plunged into the vortex of dissipation something passed between the husband and wife something which remains an impenetrable secret but the wife sank even lower in the husband's eyes as soon as he became so ill that he was obliged to take to his bed he manifested his aversion for the countess and the two youngest children he forbade them to enter his room and any attempt to disobey his wishes brought on such dangerous attacks that the doctor implored the countess to submit to her husband's wish madame de restaud had seen the family estates and property nay the very mansion in which she lived pass into the hands of gobseck who appeared to play the fantastic ogre so far as their wealth was concerned she partially understood what her husband was doing no doubt monsieur de Trailles was travelling in england his creditors had been a little too pressing of late and no one else was in a position to enlighten the lady and explain that her husband was taking precautions against her at gobseck's suggestion it is said that she held out for a long while before she gave the signature required by french law for the sale of the property nevertheless the count gained his point the countess was convinced that her husband was realizing his fortune and that somewhere or other there would be a little bunch of notes representing the amount they had been deposited with a notary or perhaps at the bank or in some safe hiding place following out her train of thought it was evident that monsieur de restaud must of necessity have some kind of document in his possession by which any remaining property could be recovered and handed over to his son 
so she made up her mind to keep the strictest possible watch over the sick room she ruled despotically in the house and everything in it was submitted to her feminine espionage all day she sat in the salon adjoining her husband's room so that she could hear every syllable that he uttered every least movement that he made she had a bed put there for her of a night but she did not sleep very much the doctor was entirely in her interests such wifely devotion seemed praiseworthy enough with the natural subtlety of perfidy she took care to disguise monsieur de restaud's repugnance for her and feigned distress so perfectly that she gained a sort of celebrity straight-laced women were even found to say that she had expiated her sins always before her eyes she beheld a vision of the destitution to follow on the count's death if her presence of mind should fail her and in these ways the wife repulsed from the bed of pain on which her husband lay and groaned had drawn a charmed circle round about it so near yet kept at a distance all-powerful but in disgrace the apparently devoted wife was lying in wait for death and opportunity crouching like the ant-lion at the bottom of his spiral pit ever on the watch for the prey that cannot escape listening to the fall of every grain of sand the strictest censor could not but recognize that the countess pushed maternal sentiment to the last degree her father's death had been a lesson to her people said she worshipped her children they were so young that she could hide the disorders of her life from their eyes and could win their love she had given them the best and most brilliant education i confess that i cannot help admiring her and feeling sorry for her gobseck used to joke me about it just about that time she had discovered maxime's baseness and was expiating the sins of the past in tears of blood i was sure of it hateful as were the measures which she took for regaining control of her husband's money were they not the result of a mother's love and a desire to repair the wrongs she had done her children and again it may be like many a woman who has experienced the storm of lawless love she felt a longing to lead a virtuous life again perhaps she only learned the worth of that life when she came to reap the woeful harvest sown by her errors every time that little ernest came out of his father's room she put him through a searching examination as to all that his father had done or said the boy willingly complied with his mother's wishes and told her even more than she asked in her anxious affection as he thought my visit was a ray of life for the countess she was determined to see in me the instrument of the count's vengeance and resolved that i should not be allowed to go near the dying man i augured ill of all this and earnestly wished for an interview for i was not easy in my mind about the fate of the counter-deed if it should fall into the countess's hands she might turn it to her own account and that would be the beginning of a series of interminable lawsuits between her and gobseck i knew the usurer well enough to feel convinced that he would never give up the property to her there was room for plenty of legal quibbling over a series of transfers and i alone knew all the ins and outs of the matter i was minded to prevent such an issue of misfortune so i went to the countess a second time i have noticed madame said derville turning to the vicomtesse and speaking in a confidential tone certain moral phenomena to which we do not pay enough attention i am naturally an observer of human nature and instinctively i bring a spirit of analysis to the business that i transact in the interest of others when human passions are called into lively play now i have often noticed and always with new wonder that two antagonists almost always divine each other's inmost thoughts and ideas 
to enemies sometimes possess a power of clear insight into mental processes and read each other's minds as two lovers read in either soul so when we came together the countess and i i understood at once the reason of her antipathy for me disguised though it was by the most gracious forms of politeness and civility i had been forced to be her confidant and a woman cannot but hate the man before whom she is compelled to blush and she on her side knew that if i was the man in whom her husband placed confidence that husband had not as yet given up his fortune end of section two